once again, good morning. It's good to have you here with us. Isn't this fun? <laughs> We've had a lot of people say, you know, we should do this every Sunday. The neighbors, however, disagree. Not only that, uh, when we originally were discussing this idea, the possibility of doing this uh, as, a, as a way to gather and be outside and give some freedom to folks who uh, would enjoy not wearing a mask, that kind of thing, we said, well, this will either be the greatest idea we've ever had or the worst, depending on the weather. Can you imagine if the snow was blowing sideways this morning, it might be a little different. But God has been so gracious and so good, and this has been already a lot of fun just to gather and worship and remember that our Savior is alive, that he has risen. So uh, pray with me. As always, we want to ask God to guide us and speak to us at this time. Father, we are deeply grateful to you. We're grateful for family, and we're grateful for friends. We're grateful for a church in which to serve and love and be loved and we're grateful for this day easter a day that the church around the world gathers to celebrate what we believe and hold to be true that jesus christ is risen he is risen indeed and now god would you teach us and speak to us and challenge us as we take time to reflect on and to look at your word together and we ask this as always in the name of jesus christ our king our savior our risen Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, it was a couple of thousand years ago, something happened that had never happened before. Uh, a few broken-hearted, well, that scared me. <laughs> a few broken-hearted people went to a tomb of a man that, as you know, they dearly loved, a man who had just recently been murdered, of course, crucified, and they were told when they got there that he isn't here. And upon inspecting his tomb, they found, in fact, that that was true. The tomb was empty. And that one fact, that one single piece of news was so significant that it changed all of human history. And the reason for that was that the report was not just simply that the tomb was empty. That, of course, was surprising. That, of course, was significant and puzzling. But the fact of the matter was... Jesus was alive. And all of a sudden now we find an angel telling Mary Magdalene, you don't have to be afraid anymore, Mary. You don't have to go through life fearing anything, not even death itself. A little later, the resurrected Jesus spoke to Peter and said to Peter, you don't have to go through life feeling guilty anymore because you have failed so often. If you know anything about the life of Peter, you know he was pretty good at that stubbing his toe, failing this way and that way. He even denied the Lord Jesus, knowing the Lord Jesus on the night of his betrayal, uh, on the night of his trial before the Sanhedrin. Jesus said to Peter, you don't even have to feel guilty about the fact that you denied me, Peter, because I'm restoring you. He told Peter to feed his sheep. He also told Thomas on one occasion after his resurrection, you don't have to doubt anymore, not about God, not about me, you can live with faith. You can live with joy. You can live, Thomas, with hope. And then Jesus tells his disciples, now you not only have a reason to live, but something just as important, you have a reason worth dying for. And you have a reason to hope in any situation, hope beyond all life and death. 
And all of this because Jesus was no longer in the tomb. He was alive. And not just there and not just then. He is still alive today. In fact, he is here with us in this tent. He makes the promise that wherever two or three gather together in his name, he is there in their midst. And I know for many of us this morning, life is great, right? That's why smiles are on our faces. We cleaned up, we took a shower, we put on some fresh looking clothing and life is great. We have relationships to celebrate and should. We have a job that's good. We have health that's strong. Uh, We have a future that seems bright as we contemplate it. And I hope that's each and every one of us this morning. I really do. But I happen to know that for many, many of us even here, this has been one heck of a year. Am I right? This has been difficult. Relationships have suffered. Maybe you've even lost someone you love, and I happen to know some folks who have, and how difficult it was to celebrate their life in the season of COVID. Or maybe you've gone through a divorce. I I can't even imagine the loneliness, the difficulty of going through something of that nature in a season like this. Or maybe someone you love is desperately ill or for you you've been isolated and socially distanced to the point where you are feeling disconnected and distressed and maybe even depressed well you you get the point I don't need to keep listing things that discourage us it has been quite a year and then add to that the things that we are seeing constantly in the news shootings in Boulder shootings in Atlanta shootings in California All of it adds up to what is something just emotionally draining, emotionally challenging, emotionally exhausting. I know pastors uh, about my age, in fact, uh, who just gave up this year. Uh, In the midst of COVID, they just decided it was time. They called it quits. So I quit. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Kidding, I'm kidding. I know churches too, I'm sad to say, that are, they're struggling big time to survive, let alone thrive. And so as I was thinking about this Easter, and in particular thinking about this message, the last thing I want to do is be glib or trite as we gather to celebrate Easter. In fact, I think we need to remember that, that Easter did not come, not originally to people who were happy and well-dressed, people for whom life was going great. In fact, it came to people who had just lost their leader and therefore also lost their hope. People who were frightened, people who were confused, people who were crushed and disappointed. And I want to tell you, we need a hope that is not glib, that is not superficial, that is not just human positive thinking. You know, don't worry, be happy. If we could engineer hope, friends, if if we could just manufacture it, if it was just about our circumstances changing, then we don't need the hope that Easter promises. We just need to change our circumstances. But the reality is this. We can't just manufacture hope. Why? Because very often things happen to us that we just can't change. Very often things happen to us that we don't like or things that we can't avoid, or things that we can't fix. And so we need to ground our hope in something that is bigger and greater 
and stronger than our ever-changing circumstances. Something big enough to actually overcome the most serious problems of our human condition. And that is why Easter hope is so vitally, vitally important. It's actually the only kind of hope that does overcome all human devastation, human sin, human evil, human brokenness, the brokenness that's in us and all around the world that we observe. You know, a long time ago, there was a guy, he was a prophet, his name was Isaiah, and his people Israel lived in really dark times politically and economically. They were suffering, they were oppressed by a superpower, one you're maybe familiar with if you've read much of the Bible, Babylon was the name of that superpower. Things were bad. And Isaiah wanted to deliver a message of comfort and encouragement and hope to his people, but the message that the Spirit of God gave him was kind of an odd message. This is part of that message. In Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8, we read, A voice says, Cry, and I, this is Isaiah saying this, and I said, What shall I cry? What do you want me to say, God, is what he's saying. And here's the message. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And so God says to this prophet, the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah, tell the people all flesh is as the grass and all its beauty, all its glory, the, uh, the flowers of the field will fade. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow, it's temporary, it is fleeting. It's kind of an odd message. Would you agree to give to people if you want to encourage them? <laughs> it's odd, but it's true. Whether you believe the Bible or not, it's true. And it's not good to ignore the truth. We live in a culture that doesn't talk much about death or spiritual matters in general. Things like right and wrong or good or evil or righteousness and unrighteousness. We kind of like to live in denial about things like that. We hope that we can decide for ourselves what's righteous or what is not. Uh, we hope that technology or maybe something like politics will enable us to overcome our problems. But the Bible says that people should think about these things. And I think it's fair to say that once upon a time they did, at least a little more than we do. Some of you may know about this. Uh, parents used to teach uh, this prayer to their children. Kids would pray this at night when they would go to bed. You may know a line or two of it. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That's a pretty sobering child's prayer. Would you agree? Some of you know about this. I'm not making this up. Uh, there's actually a second verse to this little child's prayer. Kids were taught when they go to bed to pray it. Uh, our days begin with trouble here. Our life is but a span. And cruel death is always near. So frail a thing is man. Good night, honey. Sleep tight. <laughs> Pleasant dreams. Don't forget, all flesh is as the grass, right? <laughs> yeah, we can chuckle, but the fact is, that's exactly what Isaiah is warning us about, just like this, this children's prayer. What he's saying is, don't put your hope in human sufficiency. 
Don't put your hope in human ingenuity or human strength or human solutions. Put your hope in God and God alone. When Isaiah said this, his hearers were living in the shadow of the wealth and the splendor and the power and the ambition of Babylon. And Babylon was the most powerful, the most beautiful, the most civilized, the most educated, the most feared nation on earth. It was the best the world had to offer. And the people of Babylon, they knew for a fact that the glory of Babylon would never end. It would last forever. Newsflash, it didn't. It didn't. Do we have any Babylonians here this morning? Notice the glory of Babylon didn't last as long as they thought it would. Now, of course, we are much, much smarter than the Babylonians. We know that the United States, for example, is different, uh, that the Internet tech giants in Silicon Valley and so the technology and uh, the medical science today, our nation's wonderful constitutions, the freedoms that it blesses us with, our military, our great institutions of learning, we can put our hope in these things. We are a civilized nation, a civilized people, and our glory will never end, friends. The Bible says that all flesh is as the grass. And you don't have to believe the Bible. Just look around you, be observant, and you'll see that this is true. What nation has ever lasted forever? What athlete is not eventually defeated by arthritis in old age? What supermodel dons the cover of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue at the age of 55? What wealthy, powerful CEO doesn't eventually lose their power, their health, and even their life? You see, all flesh is as the grass. And this is really important that we know this. We live in a culture that wants to deny it and would like very much to ignore it. Just to make sure everybody remembers this foundational truth, I thought, hey, we're meeting in a tent. This is Easter. We're going to try a new liturgy together. This is something that we say that you do in participation. That's what liturgy is. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say your flesh is as the grass, and you are going to say in response back, we are grass indeed. Now, our neighbors are going to wonder what the heck is going on over there. Are they smoking something? I mean, that's what they're going to wonder. But this is what we're going to do. I'm going to say your flesh is as the grass, and you are going to say we are grass indeed. Are you excited about this? This is fantastic. So I'm going to ask you to stand, right? I'm going to ask you to stand. And here we go. Your flesh is as the grass. We are grass indeed. You can be seated. Friends, that is the truth about you and me. It's the truth about all of human life. Now, I want to give you another observation. This is from the Bible as well. And this is kind of an interesting contrast to this first observation. And this is from one of my favorite books of the Bible. I'm not sure you're supposed to have favorite books of the Bible, but this would be one of mine. Ecclesiastes. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, where it says, God has set eternity in the human heart. So you see, all flesh is as the grass. It's, it's temporary. It's disposable. It's not going to last forever. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. We are that way. But here's how we are very, very different than the grass. 
You see, God has placed eternity in the human heart. Point being that grass doesn't know it's here today and gone tomorrow. In fact, no other creature carries this, this same glory or this same burden. This is why we as human beings wonder about life, its meaning, its purpose. This is why we want to know why we are here. This is why we want our lives to matter, the things we do, the things we don't. We want those things to matter. And it is because God has set eternity in the human heart. There's a cave in New Zealand has these little worms in it by the tens of thousands. And these little worms are phosphorescent. They glow, they glow in the dark. And I've never been there, I've never seen it, but I've read that it's an absolutely breathtakingly beautiful sight to see. Now, these little worms spend most of their lifetime as little worms, but there's a certain day when they actually hatch out of their larva form and they become a little fly, they grow wings. And amazingly enough, they have no mouths and they don't need them because they only live for one day. So they don't need to eat anything. They get one day to fly, to attract a mate, to have children, and then they die. Only one day. But again, they are like the grass. They don't care. That's their life. Uh, They don't write books about only getting to live one day. Uh, They don't go to work. They don't go to school. They don't create art. They don't write and produce and play wonderful or beautiful music. They are here today and they are gone tomorrow. But we're different. We have a radar built into us for this thing of eternity. Human beings have this, this instinct that's like a sixth sense, if you will, that death is not the last word. There has got to be something more, something beyond this life. This life is not all there is. You see, we have a hunger that this world and its accomplishments cannot satisfy. And that's part of what it means that God has placed eternity in the human heart. We have a longing for security that this world cannot provide. We have a longing for beauty that this world can only dimly display. We have a desire to be loved and to be known fully, completely, perfectly in a way that nobody on this earth can really love us. You have a longing for healing, a longing for wholeness, a longing for righteousness and goodness and perfection that no therapist in this world can give you. Friends, God has placed those longings in your heart and mine. They are longings for eternity. And again, you don't have to believe the Bible to see this. I got a real kick years ago out of reading books written by a very bright man. His name is Richard Dawkins. He's a neo-atheist. Wrote a lot of books. Uh, Two of them I recall, The God Delusion. Uh, The other one was The Selfish Gene. And these books claim to demolish the foolishness of believing in a God, especially a God who sends his son to this earth and who dies and then comes back from the dead. And and it's very cleverly written. It's very interesting reading. Uh, And and in that book or those books, it, it was intriguing to me that there are hundreds of pages spent in in each of his books trying to explain why human beings still matter. 
why we still have a point or a purpose. Why it is that we are here, even though the truth of the matter is we're only here today and then gone tomorrow, like glowworms. The Bible says that the reason God has placed eternity in the human heart is that we were made for an eternal, perfect, beautiful, graciously good existence lived with him. The Bible says that what we are doing here and now is actually preparing for that eternity to come. That's what gives significance to every decision you make, every relationship you have, how you treat the people around you. This is what gives true and ultimate meaning and significance to those things. The things we do every single day is the fact that eternity, eternity with God or without him is coming. There was a pastor, his name was David Nicholas. Uh, when I was a young man and had just entered the ministry um, just a few years ago, David was uh, the senior pastor of the church where I was on staff. David was notorious for being very bold and sharing his faith. He just uh, was unabashed about talking to people and telling them about Jesus. And usually he was very winsome in how he did it. I had the pleasure and the joy of watching him do this very often. And uh, one time we were in a restaurant and a Bible was open on the, on the table there. And there was a waitress and she saw the Bible open in front of David. And she asked him, why are you reading that? And David simply looked at her and said, well because I don't want to go to hell, you know, very tactful. <laughs> and she said to him, well, don't you know there's no such thing as heaven or hell? She was just as bold as David. She fired right back. And David said, why do you think that? And she said, well, everybody knows that when you die, your candle goes out, poof, you're gone. You know, that's just how it is. And David responded, well, you mean to tell me that there's no, no afterlife at all? That means you're able to live, I guess, any way you please. You can decide for yourself what's right, what's wrong, and, and so on. And she said, yeah, yeah, that's kind of right. That's it. And so David said, well, so there's no judgment. There's no God who made us. There's no right or wrong or good or evil that you're going to have to give an account of someday. Nothing like that's ever going to happen. She said, yeah, that's right. And David said, well, that, that's fascinating to me. Where did you hear that? And she told him. She said, I read it somewhere. He said, well, can you, can you give me the name of the book? She said, no, I don't remember. He said, well, how about the author? Can you give me the author's name? She said, no, I, I forgot his name. Well, did the author write any other books, David asked. And she said, I, I don't really know. And then David said, well, well, is it possible that that author changed his mind later, a year or two or years later? And she said, I, I don't know, and, uh, but I doubt it, you know. And then David said, well, let me kind of get this straight. You're saying that your eternity, you're going to rest your eternity on a book whose title you can't remember and an author whose name you can't recall. Is that about right? And she said, yeah, that's about right. And then David, in his bold way, said, well, let me tell you what I think. I think what you've done is you've created a rather convenient belief for yourself that supports a lifestyle, any kind of lifestyle you want to live. Instead of wrestling with the discomforting idea of heaven or hell and having to face a holy God on a day of judgment someday, I think you believe what you believe just because 
It's the most convenient thing to believe. And what followed after that were actually many more conversations between David and this waitress. And uh, I, I can tell you what eventually happened is this waitress became a follower of Jesus and uh, became a part of our church there in Boca Raton. But all of that to say this, friends, what do you believe? Why, why do you believe what you believe? What is your basis? Is there an author you quote? Is there a book you've read? Is it just a feeling you have? Do you base your life on just a convenient truth, convenient for you? Let me remind you, the Bible says that God put eternity in your heart. And that is because you were made for more than just the here and now. The here and now matters, don't get me wrong, it's very important. But it's not all that matters. In fact, it's really just preparation for what is to come. We live in a world that does not know what it means, I think, to be truly human. We have lost the wonder and the mystery and the beauty of all of it because we do not know our maker, our creator. We're like grass. We are all going to die. But God didn't plant death in the human heart. Death is not the way we are supposed to be or what we are supposed to experience. Death entered the world because of something called sin. And the Bible says that I'm going to have to face a holy God someday on a day of reckoning. And I have not lived up to his standard of holiness, not by a long shot. And here's the thing. Human self-sufficiency is not going to get me out of this one. All the king's horses and all the king's men, all the creativity, all the innovation, all the learning, all the pride of mankind are not going to innovate me out of this one. And I just have to tell you, if you do not have a hope that is bigger than our problem of sin and death, then you don't really have a hope at all. But here's the thing, friends, and this is what we celebrate on Easter. God offers us a hope. Isaiah said that long time ago, all flesh is grass and all human glory is like the flower of the field. But the word of our God stands forever. Interesting language. The word of our God stands forever. Forever. It was some centuries later that the Apostle John picked up on Old Testament language like that and he wrote these words. He said, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is a staggering, staggering thought. The Word is one of those titles that John uses for Jesus. The word here refers to the, Jesus being the perfect expression or revelation of Almighty God. It's like my word is an expression of who I am. Well, Jesus is the perfect expression of God Almighty, the incarnate God. The word which is eternal became flesh, said John, but all flesh is as the grass. It's temporary. It's disposable. It dies. And that's the point. Jesus 
willingly humbled himself, took on the very nature of a servant, we are told. Jesus lived among us. He worked a job. He was a carpenter. He helped his mother uh, raise the rest of the children in the family when his father Joseph passed. He became a rabbi. He became a teacher. He served others. He washed feet. He healed the sick, the lame, the blind. He fed the hungry, but he was mocked and rejected. He was struck and he would not strike back. He was hated and he would not hate back. He was cursed and he did not curse in return. He was rejected and he did not reject. He was held in contempt, but he loved instead. He was condemned and he offered forgiveness. Understand this man, Jesus, the word became flesh. And in the flesh, they whipped him and they beat him and they put him on a cross, thinking that they were taking his life. But in fact, what was happening is Jesus was giving his life. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And when he died, they then laid him in a tomb and they sealed it with a stone all flesh is as the grass. It's always been that way. Nothing surprising yet. But on the third day, Jesus said, I take back my life. And the stone got rolled away and the tomb was empty and angels rejoiced and death and sin were defeated. Jesus conquered sin and death. Jesus conquered fear and evil, guilt and shame and hell for all his people. And if that's true, friends, then whatever stands between you and God is not bigger than Jesus. Whatever stands between you and God is not stronger than Jesus. Any human being to this day, if he or she confesses their sin and asks Jesus to forgive them and come into their life and become their God, their leader, their savior, their teacher, their master, their friend, Jesus will hear that prayer and Jesus will do exactly that. He will take up residence in your heart. And I would say, if you've never done that, if you don't have the Easter hope that we're talking about, the hope that Jesus alone can give, then why not receive that gift today? It's a gift. Jesus himself, th these are words everybody's heard. Uh, everybody's read them. Probably the most famous verse in all the Bible. What some people don't realize is that it was Jesus who said this. Jesus himself, he said, for God, he's talking about his father, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, there he's talking about himself, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Oh, they will die because all flesh is as the grass, but they won't perish. Instead, they will have eternal life, Jesus said. And I can't imagine a better day for receiving that gift than this Easter morning. How do you do that? Well, very simple. You just talk to God. And you just tell him that's what you want to do. You, you can simply pray a prayer expressing those thoughts to God. And Jesus will hear that prayer and Jesus will answer it. I'm going to pray a prayer right now, which... If that's you, if I'm talking to you and you've been sitting here thinking, this is something I do need to do. 
or this is something I've wandered away from terribly and need to come back to. Well, I would encourage you, use this prayer. It's like putting a stake in the ground. We've got stakes all around. What do they do? Well, they're solid. They hold things up. This tent is standing, we hope, a few minutes longer just because of those stakes. Put a stake in the ground that helps you to stand and be who you are supposed to be. A glorious creature who while you will die, you will not perish because you have eternal life because of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you just... If you would, bow your heads with me now, and if this prayer is appropriate for you, then then pray it with me. God, I thank you that although all flesh is as the grass, although I have no answer to the problem of sin and death, you do, and you have planted eternity in my heart. I know, God, there is more than just this life. And this morning I've decided that I want to spend eternity with you, Heavenly Father. And I want and need the hope that only Jesus offers. So Father, I confess there is stuff inside me, broken stuff, stuff I do not want and cannot control. There is anger, there's bitterness, hatred, there's greed, there's lust, there's addiction. There's regret, there's guilt, there's failure and shame. There's just all kinds of self-centered stuff in me. And God, I'm naming it and I'm repenting. I'm turning from it. And I'm asking you to forgive me and to cleanse me of my sin. I want what Jesus did on the cross to apply to me. I want his forgiveness. And I need his righteousness. I want to follow Jesus. Amen. Friends, let me just say, when a human being makes that decision, that is the most important decision he or she will ever make. And I'm not exaggerating because it changes your whole trajectory looking forward to the future. And it changes your eternity as well. When you say, I want Jesus to come into my life, you have taken a huge, significant spiritual step that will bring change to your life. Your priorities will change over time. Your passions will change over time. Your purpose will change over time. And it's a glorious change. I prayed a prayer similar to that one many, many decades ago when I was a senior uh, in high school. And I am thankful to this very day for the ongoing changes in my life. I'm not perfect, but I like to pretend to be. (laughs) But if you know me, you know I'm not. But I don't have to be. Because it's not my righteousness that matters, it's Jesus. Now, let me just say too, If you made that decision this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something that's kind of bold. I want to pray for you. And so I'm going to ask you if you just raise your hand quickly if you prayed that prayer this morning. Anyone? Awesome. That's great. That's fantastic. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to pray right now for everyone who prayed that prayer and put their faith in you. 
Would you help them, God, to find the right people, the right person, the right church with which to connect that can help them grow spiritually, that can put them on a path and help them stay there of growing in grace and growing in the knowledge of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and growing in the gratitude and appreciation for the salvation that Jesus has given them. And then, God, too, I would just, I would pray for the rest of us, Lord, some of us who already knew you when we came here, but some of us, Father, have felt pretty helpless and hopeless at times this past year. And I pray going forward, Lord, that the, the hope that matters most, the one that counts the most, uh, the one hope that we have in Jesus Christ, uh, who sta whose name stands above every other name, I pray, God, that that would increase our hope, increase our strength, give us new courage, and help us to go forward in the strength and the power of Jesus Christ himself. We thank you, God, that we could gather to worship you here this morning. And we thank you for our resurrected Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.